Now we're going to talk about what you guys brought to the table this week. <laughs> Why did I want to say, looks yummy? <laughs> what? <laughs> this was brought to the table, looks tasty, let's dig in. Why am I like this? <laughs> oh my god, okay. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 17, Interludes. And it starts out here with a paragraph that's basically just describing the stone dragons. And it, at the end, it equates those to the elderlings. Yes. So for a first time reader through, we finally get a kind of description of what the elderlings are, even if they are... You know, not fully explained in these couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else you kind of want to say about it. Um, there's a line that says they came from afar, a long and trying way, and did not hesitate to lay down their lives that had become a weariness to them. They ended their days and began eternities, put aside flesh and dawned stone. Yeah, so I was wondering about this because... It seems as though whoever wrote this wasn't from the duchies, almost. And maybe it's just the way, the poetic way they chose to speak. But having the people come from far away to do this, which is true, I guess, even if you are from Buck. But it just felt like they're in the place where the dragons are being made or something. Like, this is from a village. But it's also weird because... This potentially points to elderlings being mischaracterized from even longer back. Like, this isn't a recent thing, but I don't know. We do know elderlings also made stone dragons. Well, well, they weren't called stone dragons, but they did put their essence into creations with the stone. But, yeah, I don't know. So maybe that's how the elderling name got mixed up with the tradition of making a stone dragon i don't know could be yeah that's an interesting theory that uh, this writing is from further away or not from buck itself Mm -hmm. i also was thinking that it could be written in the future we just don't know like this could be from something among i don't know fitz's older times or even further in the future than that Yeah, I guess the only reason I would think not is just because of how poetic it all sounds. Not that Fitz doesn't have his own sense of poetry, so to say, when he speaks, but his feels more connected to himself. I'm not saying that Fitz is writing this. Oh, I'm just saying that it's in the future from Fitz. No, it could be from Fitz's time. This could Uh, be from a different writer, but. Yeah. Oh, I just, I guess I just assume this is the scroll, the mini scroll that Fitz is supposed to. Um, read. Oh, in this chapter? Maybe. It could be. We just don't really know, I suppose. Yeah. So the first scene here is Fitz getting summoned to the king. He hasn't been back for two months. He's kept his promise to not visit the king after Shrewd told him that he couldn't marry Molly. Right. And he got angry at him. Mm -hmm. And... We're just going to start off this chapter with my anger. 
That means that Fitz has known he cannot marry Molly for two months and has not told her yet. Mm-hmm. Two months. He has had two months to figure this out and has still not and doesn't see a problem with that amount of time passing and not saying anything to Molly. Just have to get that out there. <laughs> I think that's what made me mad reading this chapter is like, I don't think I realized it had been a full two months until it flat out said. I knew a lot of time was passing because we were kind of last chapter skipping over things, kind of just doing big events. Well, that's what Fitz was doing, too, because he says in within like two or three paragraphs that that took us to the end of summer. Yeah, right. So, like, (laughs) I should have known, but (laughs) I think seeing it spelled out for me clearly made it a little bit different. And then I just started this chapter off being mad at Fitz. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He is getting ready. For the visit to the king, it was unreasonably early to his, to Fitz's sensibilities. (laughs) And he was getting ready. He was actually, you know, taking time to look proper and be presentable for the king. And he goes up to the, uh, the chambers and he knocks at the door and Wallace is expecting him. He's expecting, Fitz is expecting some sort of, you know, resistance as usual, but Mm -hmm. Wallace lets him in and... Shrewd has specifically summoned him, so Wallace can't do anything about that. (laughs) Shrewd sat before his hearth in a cushioned chair. Despite myself, my heart sank at how wasted he had become. His skin was papery and translucent as parchment, his fingers gone to bone. His face sagged, skin drooping where flesh had once held it firm. His dark eyes were sunken into his face. He clasped his hands in his lap in a gesture I knew well. Thus did I hold my hands to conceal the trembling that occasionally overtook me still. A small table at his elbow supported a censer, and smoke rose from it. The fumes already made a bluish haze about the rafters. The fool sprawled disconsolately at his feet. So this is a really sad picture of what Shrewd has become in just two months. He was well on his way there, but yeah. Yeah. I think... Fitz truly underestimates how much power he holds, um, which is kind of clear throughout this, that his life and his actions do have consequences to other people. Yeah. And I think the most striking of the little butterfly effects he has is with Shrewd. He's not there every day anymore. And when he was going every day before the big fight, things were getting better. They weren't probably ever going to get back up to the way they were before um we know that there's a lot going on behind the scenes but with Fitz openly supporting his grandfather again it kind of did make people shirk back it seemed and then as soon as he dropped his grandfather they came right back out of hiding and it's just really sad the king is told by Wallace that Fitz Chivalry is there and he's moving languidly and and not really reacting as strongly as we've seen him in the past Mm -hmm. and just kind of strolls his way to the point of like, Hey, Duke Brondy of Burns sent a, sent an update and Celerity sent a scroll as well. It's for you. Mm -hmm. I do want to point out that he says that mostly the news is for Regal, which I found very interesting. It is about, the inner workings of the duchy harvest reports right but 
I think that's just another way to show how much power Regal is gaining. I know mm-hmm. that Brandy is not a fan of Regal, um, but still, Regal has access to all of this. And I mean, isn't that what Verity put him in charge of? Yeah, but I think see like knowing that even people who don't like him are reporting to him although i'm not sure that they're aware they're reporting to him uh maybe shrewd is keeping up a yeah it's probably shrewd just being oh this uh regal's taking care of this now i don't need to concern myself for it right i don't know i just find it interesting because regal is brought up a couple more times so it's just clear how much regal has stepped in in fitz's absence right and it's sad (laughs) And he tells Fitz that he has to create an appropriate reply to Celerity here. And Fitz unrolls it and reads out that, you know, um, wishing that he is well and sends a copy of the scroll that she found in Ripple Keeps Libraries, or properly a copy of what was still legible. From the wrapping, she believed it pertained to elderlings. She had noted my interest in them during my visit to Ripplekeep. It looks to me as if the writing was actually philosophy or perhaps poetry. So it could well be the the intro part of this mm-hmm. as well. Shrewd, well, Fitz offers the scrolls back to Shrewd, and he reinstates to Fitz that you have to make a reply to this. Mm-hmm. And a proper reply. <laughs> and a proper note of thanks. And then he asks, am I dismissed, my king? Fitz does. Because obviously he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to have any part in this conversation. He's not happy about any of this. And Shrewd takes that a different way, or purposefully, you know, takes that a different way. Right. Says, you are not dismissed. Had I dismissed you, it would have been years ago. I would have let you grow up in some backwater village, or seen that you did not grow, grow up at all. No, Fitzchivalry, I have not dismissed you. Something of his old presence came back into his voice. Some years ago, I struck a bargain with you. You have kept your end of it, and kept it well. I know how I am served by you, even when you do not see fit to report to me personally. I know how you serve me, even when you are brimming with anger at me. I could ask little more than what you have given me. And he coughs and has a moment of weakness, asks the fool to bring some wine with Wallace's spicing herbs in it. He goes on and just says, I want to keep my end of the bargain. I want to see that you are taken care of for your future. I think this scene is really interesting because we have a little bit of glimmer of hope of, oh, the old king is still in there. Um, shut down immediately by the reality of his health conditions. Mm -hmm. And he ends what is such a powerful speech that's almost intimidating in nature just by saying, you know, I could have killed you if I wanted to, um, and ends it by saying, I just want you to do right by you, which feels pretty soft for the king. I know that he is not as harsh and hard as Fitz believes him to be. Or you. Or me. (laughs) But I think it just really shows how how much the sickness is affecting the king. I think this is kind of a moment of someone who knows they won't always be around. And that's becoming more clear to them almost. And being like, I need to make sure that I have things set up Mm -hmm. to to fulfill my 
promises before I can die, which is a sad way to think. And we all know it's coming pretty soon, but it's still kind of sad to see the little glimmer of old shrewd in this man that is so sickly and old. (laughs) It's just, yeah. The fool brings back the wine and there's obviously a lot of different herbs or medicines or some sort of painkiller or something in there because it takes a strong effect on Shrewd. And Shrewd continues that he wants to see Fitz with an actual title and it's not a small thing that Brondi finds you a good match for his daughter and that his daughter actually likes you. So, you know, you can get your own titles and estates and then Celerity will will come with her own as well. So like you will be set up for the future. Mm-hmm. He says, I wish only the best for you. Is this so hard to understand? And I think Shrewd really, like he is hurt by what had happened before. I I don't think he has any regret about his decisions at all. Right. Because he's doing what's best for the kingdom and what he sees as best for Fitz. But he's also obviously thought about his decisions enough to come up with a speech to talk to Fitz about it, to say, like, this is why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to understand why I want you to be set up for the future? Right. And Fitz obviously um, is still (laughs) upset because he's young and he's in love and he says i want to marry who i want who i love yeah i want to marry who's you know someone who's my choice right and i think it's hard to watch fitz blatantly disregard the obvious love and care his grandfather has for him he's pretty mad but I think his grandpa does have a soft spot for him. Oh, he does. He's it's still, still masked. Yeah, it's and there the, the duty of the motives. kingdom comes first. Right. But I think, especially in this, where he keeps reiterating, I want, I want to hold up my end of the bargain. I want you to be taken care of. Is such like, I don't know. I think just that he says it a couple times to me really stuck out as he really does care about his grandson, even if that care is in a way that isn't necessarily helpful or the best way to Mm -hmm. show that you love someone but he is i think you're right trying to do what he thinks is right i it does make me a little mad because like he could just give fitz titles (laughs) there's no reason he couldn't give fitz his own titles just as is but well that's that's what he's saying right here he's celerity will come to you with the title and estates of her own. Your match gives me the opportunity to see that you have the same. I wish only the best for you. But I read that as you don't have anything until you marry her for her titles. And then I can give you something too, so that you're not going into this like, (laughs) yeah, but, but I don't think that he has, he hasn't given Fitz a title at all yet. Well, no, because that's a danger and it draws attention to his assassin. Right. I don't know if he's marrying, if he's marrying Fitz off to a duke's daughter, that puts him in the political sphere in the eyes of all of the dukes. And so therefore he has a reason to be like, hey, this guy is important. And he is part of like the family now. And he is, like, I guess, I, yeah. I can give him something rather than drawing attention to somebody who is a tool and has to be 
you know, related to the royal, like we've heard before from the first book, related to the royal family and has enough power to be a diplomat and not an insult to send, but also not a risk at all if he gets killed. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. I don't like it. (laughs) I wish there was an easier (laughs) answer. Oh, yeah, but then it wouldn't be a Robin Hobb book. That's true. Fitz, of course, like I said, uh, says I want it to marry a lady of my own choosing. And Shrewd gets angry again and says, Now there, you sound like Verity, he said crossly, or your father. I think they suckled stubbornness from their mother's breasts. He lifted the goblet and drained it off. Which is funny because clearly they got it from him. (laughs) (laughs) Everything that we hear about Constance could be from her too. Could be both. Fair, but he is also stubborn in everything, even if he's wrong. Yeah, but okay, hear it from his perspective though. He's the king. It's his. He's not being stubborn. It's his decision. And the stubborn one is the one who opposes him, which Constance did. I suppose. I don't know. I don't think that makes him less stubborn. But No, it doesn't. It doesn't. All Farseer men are stubborn. Um, yes. And those who associate with them, like Beric. But from his perspective, it's his decision and everyone else is being stubborn. Honestly, I think Beric is no match for Farseer men. He's stubborn. But only about, like, certain things. And if Fitz became, like, an acknowledged succession to the throne and told Beric something, I don't think he would, like, stand his ground. I think he would... Unless it was, like, his purvey, like, what yeah. he was doing, like, the stables or something. You'd yep. be like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Get I don't know. I feel like... Here. So he is <laughs> <Prince> definitely... <laughs> chivalry. <laughs> I think he is stubborn, but I think he's not nearly in league with, I don't know, some of the other Farseer men we've heard or seen. <laughs> right, right. He also remarks that... Well, Shrewd remarks that He hears a lot of the rumors around the keep, and he has to keep up on these rumors. uh, And that Regal brings them all to him. That he's, you know, talking like a, like a chambermaid, or kitchen maid, excuse me, as if they were important. Chickens clucking, dogs barking, just as important. And Shrewd kind of drops the knowledge that Regal has told him that he is enamored with a chambermaid, Mm -hmm. with Molly. And just implies that, like, you're young, chambermaids are young. Well, not only that he's enamored with a chambermaid, but that he relentlessly pursues her. Yeah. Which is a little bit more damning than, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, just a, well, he has a crush on somebody. Like, he's a creep that won't leave alone this poor, innocent chambermaid. (laughs) Okay, I don't think they're (laughs) phrasing it like that. Um, it's regal. I do. (laughs) I don't know. But also... Is this something Regal is actually hearing? Is he hearing other people gossip about this? Is this the the rumor he's bringing real talk or something that he's using his own personal knowledge to give? And it matters because are people in the keep talking about this for real? Or is this just knowledge Regal is keeping to himself to give his father to make Fitz look worse? I would, I would assume... That he's just bringing it to Shrewd. Because we don't hear anybody else talk about rumors. We don't hear Molly talking about rumors about that or anything like that. But would Molly know? I mean, she's over. We hear later in this chapter that she's overhearing other kitchen maids gossip about different things. And they even specifically mention Fitz. But they don't 
link that to Molly. And if she's in the room, I don't think they would bring up Fitz in front of her if they knew that they were maybe having like a dalliance or something, you know? Right. Or they would ask her directly like, hey, we heard he was pursuing you relentlessly. Right. But see, that makes a difference in my mind because I want to know, is Regal telling the king true rumors or are they all made up some true from knowledge that he gains from other people some just made up to make himself look better and gain more power does that make sense i think a little bit of both i mean he he has to give him real things and feeding him that fitz is pursuing a chambermaid helps regal out because it's like making fitz look bad to the king but he doesn't necessarily need everybody else in the castle to know he can hold that over fitz's head it's an extra threat, and Shrewd will take care of it. Right. So I don't know. After Shrewd, you know, says that Regal told me that you're pursuing Molly, Fitz is kind of scared and also extremely angry about that because Regal has so much knowledge into his life and what he's actually doing that it it does... I think, kind of scare him here. And throughout this whole chapter, he's just getting progressively more angry until a certain point. And this is one of those things. It's like, wow, Regal knows so much about me. Shrewd is denying me again and reiterating, like, you're going to grow out of your love for Molly, which as a teen who says he's in love, he's like, no. (laughs) Never. I'm marrying this person. Right. Which, I mean, does happen. But. It does happen. I just, I feel like every teenager has had at least one crush where they're like, I'm going to marry that person for sure. There's no flaws. Nothing, no one I ever meet <laughs> will ever compare. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. I think everybody goes through that phase. Almost everybody goes through that phase. So, he's sitting there looking angry and the wine is working its magic on Shrewd and he's about to fall asleep, but Shrewd opens up his eyes again and remarks that Fitz has the frown of Constance when he's angry (laughs) and again says, I would like to do well by you. This time I'm wondering though, if the, I would like to do well by you is Constance and not Fitz. Maybe. He's a little drugged up. He makes a comment about how Fitz has the angry mouth of Constance and then closes his eyes and says, I would like to do well by you. And I want, I don't know what made me think of this. And later in the chapter, we talk a little bit more about Constance, but I think something about bringing up the dead wife that he probably angered a lot by making choices she did not approve of brought something to his memory and knowing that the son that his grandson looked like is dead. Like he, I don't know. It 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 felt like to me personally reading this, like he is kind of doing this because of Constance or some, in some weird way. Like it's also about Fitz. He cares about Fitz, but I think there's some underlying thing there going on with feeling like he let Constance down by letting chivalry die. I'm sure. I mean, he did come to love Constance, Shade says later. Right. So, I mean, he probably does miss her at times. 
and Fitz is kind of, and he knows he's kind of losing Verity mm-hmm. almost. And so Fitz would just be the, the last remaining descendant from them. So I can see where you're coming from. I don't think that I would like to do well by you is he's saying to Constance, just because it's a repetition that's happened throughout right. the whole conversation. But that's an interesting thought. Constance could have definitely been in the forefront of his mind because of that, because right. of his relation and, and wanting to take care of their legacy. And also because, as Shade again points out later, that was an arranged marriage and she could be on his mind because like I did, I came to care for Constance. She was a great queen for me. I'm doing what's True. best for Fitz here. True. And maybe that's just reinforced in his head. Then like, I'm going to do well by you Fitz. I'm arranging this marriage. You're going to be a great match. Yeah. It's done. Fair. But also <laughs> I think it's interesting to think about how that means that chivalry must look like his mother a decent yeah. amount. Yeah, probably. So that's fun to think about because we know Verity looks very strikingly similar to Shrewd and mm-hmm. Jade. Yeah. Um. So that's definitely farcier. Yeah. Fitz. And, I think Fitz comments how Jade kind of looks fit like Verity after he yes. comes back from his trip. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So we know that they look very similar, and we know that Verity and Chivalry don't necessarily look like twins. They look like siblings, and there's no doubt that Fitz is a farcier. But I bet he has more features of his paternal grandmother's side or you yeah. know so I, and that makes me wonder if that's why constance also kind of hated him <laughs> like or not constance i'm sorry desire uh, desire like hated chivalry and fits because they reminded her of the queen that stood before her that could be another reason piled on but there's a lot of reasons i mean that desire. yeah there's definitely desire has a lot going on that we don't have time to unpack but i wonder if part of it comes from the yeah likeness of the mother it's an interesting I, thing to think about shrewd with that last uttering falls asleep and fitz is kind of struggling with his anger and his pity and his love for the king all at once and finally drops his eyes and sees the fool huddled at shrewd's feet his knees drawn up to his chest he stared at me furiously his mouth a flat line clear tears brimmed in his colorless eyes i fled fool has been remarkably silent this whole time he's been in the background just at staring feet yeah staring daggers at fits but very silent and i wonder if he's angry because he knows it's too late Mm -hmm. the path is already set probably and i and that makes me curious if there was a different path right because he was so insistent i know in previous episodes i asked if you thought that the fool was doing this just for his friendship and his loyalty to the king, or mm-hmm. if it was a certain path and Shrewd always had to die or something, but it could be in different circumstances. And I, I don't know. I know. He's just so angry. It makes, and yeah, it makes me lean more towards. Yeah. But there that was something that could, could have, have been done. Yeah. And maybe not, but 
it feels awful lot like <laughs> I think I think Shrewd still would have had to die. Right. But I feel like it, it would have delayed something. Yeah, or it wouldn't have been as horrible or Yeah. You know, or maybe he was gonna die the same way either way, but Fitz choosing one path or the other makes Fitz die and have to come back and I that's don't... Fitz and the fool is like you chose the worst of the two paths that could have happened. Hmm. We can still get through this, but like, how dare you? So I, I don't uh, know. I don't we know literally it, don't know anything. Right. I don't know if I I would subscribe to it being like one way Fitz dies and the other he doesn't because I don't think the fool would be as mad about that. But I do think it could be a difference of like shrewd dying in comfort versus shrewd dying the way he does. And that would make you mad if you really cared about somebody like I had a chance through you yeah. to make the person that I care for have a peaceful death. And mm-hmm. you took that from me by refusing to listen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that makes more sense in my head to be angry, but it definitely could just be like, you dumb idiot. Now I have to save you from death again. <laughs> <laughs> so Fitz flees to his room where he is incredibly angry and sits down to write this letter and writes it very short, very appropriate Rolls it up, seals it, and burns it immediately. This is the first time we see him burn something he's written. Yep. <laughs> Emotions. <laughs> and then he immediately goes to write again after he gets out like the proper response. And fully goes in on his... His insecurities, his mistakes, how he's feeling. He's writing to Celerity the girl not just a diplomat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then oh, this part <laughs> made me so mad. He's basically pouring his heart into this love letter and then finish it and thinks that should make her not like me anymore. <laughs> like an idiot. Oh, I get so angry about this. I mean, to be fair to Fitz, it does work until she brings the letter to Duke Brondi, and Brondi's like, no, this is a, a true man who can recognize that the horrors of war are terrible. Real men have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because Which... he, he literally, he says, he describes of his clumsiness with a sword that made the axe his weapon, which, remember, the axe is a barbarian's yes. weapon, sword is gentleman. Wrote of the first battle in ruthless detail to this 14-year-old girl right. of how sickened uh, Fitz had been afterwards how he was frozen with terror at the oar while a red ship attacked and he neglected to mention the white ship he had seen so he's not seen as totally crazy <laughs> right he, he wants to deter her but not yeah. get sent to the loony bin <laughs> also confided that he was still troubled by the tremors occasionally as an aftermath of the long illness in the mountains Satisfied that I had presented myself as a common oarsman, an oaf, a coward, and an invalid, I rolled the letter onto a scroll, into a scroll, and tied it with the same yellow ribbon she had used. I did not seal it. I did not care who read it. Secretly, I hoped that Duke Brondy might peruse this letter to his daughter and then forbid her ever to mention my name again. I don't know. I guess Brondy is right, because this is a great love letter, if I'm being honest. Really? It's super real. It's raw. It's like... <laughs> a little much for your first one, I okay. think. <laughs> I don't know. I love, I love the idea that he's going all in. This is the real me, which is something he almost never does. And it's, this is a curated real him. I think it's more but, than he's told Molly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what I got so mad at. It's like, you're being more honest with this stranger than you have been in the past 
four months with the woman you supposedly love. And it's just sad because he's like, this will definitely work in keeping her away, which is really underlining the problem. How young he is. How young he is and the problem of he thinks nobody could possibly know him and still like Mm -hmm. him. Right. Which is why he probably doesn't tell this to Molly. That's exactly the reason he doesn't. Yeah. He wants to keep her pure and clean right. and away from his dirty court life. Right. But all I could think <laughs> while reading this was, if I was Molly, how angry I would be. Because he doesn't tell her anything. They just, like, get together, spend the night, and then argue. Because he doesn't want to... He has to fight and she doesn't understand and he won't tell her anything. And so I feel really sad because this is kind of the most romantic grand gesture someone like Fitz could do. And he's doing it to someone he supposedly doesn't want. He doesn't like at all because he doesn't see as romantic at all. Yeah. He's like, this is the worst parts of me. Right. Have them and go away. Right. And I guess you're right. The first letter from somebody, probably not the best way to open up, but in general, like if he wrote this letter to Molly, I think it would strengthen their relationship, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, no, no. So he's incredibly angry, of course, and uh, drops off the scroll to uh, Wallace to be sent out, sure. Goes back to his room, and he's thinking of like, well, I kept all these secrets from Molly, so I'm mad at that. Mm I am mad at Shrewd. It's rainy. I want to go hunting, maybe, and Night Eyes is like, nah, it's rainy. Like, we'll do that maybe at night. I don't know. Only men are stupid enough to hunt in full daylight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy hound, I rebuked him. And he makes the decision to go down to Buckheap Town. Right. And as he walks, he's Buck-town. thinking about his anger. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get away from the feelings of feeling sorry for the king and decides instead to turn his anger towards Wallace. Uh, He says, damn Wallace, he had stolen my king from me and my king had stolen my life from me. I refuse to think anymore. I think it's so interesting, this shifting of blame, which is very real that, you know, this whole situation is hard. He's mad at somebody who is clearly not doing well health-wise. Mm-hmm. And and who he loves and, and is he taking does care love. of him. Yeah. And that would be really hard. But also, Fitz, it's not Wallace's fault that you have been ignoring the king, that you ignored the king before this, and then you went back to ignoring the king when you didn't get your way. That's not Wallace turning him against you. That's your own actions right. turning him. And I don't know, it's just... Very real. I love the way that Robin Hobb can capture the teenage angsty feel, which is frustrating to read as an adult, as someone who is long past puberty. But also, it's really fun to think back to how I would be at that age and mm-hmm. how that feels really real. And honestly, I don't even think it's limited to just teenagers. That's right. like a real thing. Dealing for with, anybody it's yeah. you you don't want to be angry at someone that you like you want to yeah. direct that at somebody else or blame something else right. and it's really hard to admit you're wrong even for adults yeah <laughs> so a 15 year old who has had the worst growing up experience i'm sure it's way more difficult for him than a normal 15 year old but 17 year old sorry 17 <laughs> oh how much he has aged <laughs> 
And so he is walking down to town, and he gets to the market and sees a familiar cloak, a red cloak that he knows is Molly's, and he keeps her in sight in the market while he decides to surprise her. And this is where his actual romantic gesture comes in for the woman he loves, and he Mm -hmm. tails her while buying things for this picnic that he is planning. And gets a bunch of stuff and follows her out and he says he uses all of Chade's skill that he ever learned from Chade to to keep in sight of Molly while he was making these purchases, but also keep out of her sight. <laughs> <laughs> so he follows her back to uh, on the trail to Buckkeep, and before she gets too far, sweeps her off her feet from behind and puts her down and then kisses her and asks her to a picnic. Yeah. Which Super cute, but also super creepy to think about. You're walking alone as a woman, <laughs> and somebody just picks you up from behind and spins you around. Like, that first couple seconds had to have been terrifying. She gasped as I light-footed up behind her to lift and swing her suddenly in my arms. I landed her on her feet and kissed her soundly. <laughs> it's good that he waited so that she knew who he was, but <laughs> but I just imagine, like... Being surprised from behind while trying to, like, walk home from the store would be the worst kind of surprise. I'll have to try it sometime. (laughs) Pull out some pepper spray and just, like... (laughs) Yeah, you'll... (laughs) So he invites her out on the picnic. Of course, she's like, oh, we, we can't. We can't be seen. And... He makes a show and drags her off into the woods and they find a little cliffside by the beach and... Have a have a nice little picnic there. She got the fire to burn. They're drinking wine from the bottle and passing it around. They have a lovely little day date. Mm-hmm. And they t- he talks about how nice it is to talk loudly with her and to laugh and to not worry about waking anybody. And in, yeah, just in being with her in daylight in general. Yeah, and how that's so nice. And all I'm thinking about is Fitz, you literally just wrote a love letter to another girl. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously he tells her a little bit later, but he does wait to have an amazing date with her before ruining it. And uh, it makes me a little bit frustrated that he's... I get it because he always goes to her for comfort instead of facing the things that are hard. He just pushes those feelings aside. But it's so sad because to Molly, this is like... Oh, he does love me and like whatever because she has no idea and it just makes me so sad for Molly this whole time. I do want to point out that Fitz says I felt more like myself than I had since I had returned from the mountains. And before the mountains, remember he was going down to Bucktown once in a while. Like he was he was yeah. visiting with Carrie and Dirk and mm-hmm. hanging out with Molly. He was and, having picnics with Molly yeah. at the beach on the cliff. And he he had friends and just a few responsibilities, and now he's killing forged ones, going out on the warships, and hasn't really had time away besides his one day off that is busier than his days mm-hmm. on the ship. And yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a break that he needed, but also the the right time to tell Molly is is way way was past. way in the past. Yeah, but this is the first time that he's been comfortable. Probably in the last four or five months. Right. And it makes me sad that he equates this comfortability and ability to have 
a feeling of being normal with Molly. And that's why he keeps her so pure so that he can keep this feeling alive of I can escape because she doesn't know. Yeah. And it makes me sad for Fitz, too, because that's not a way to live your life. No. Yeah. It's not fair to both of them. No. And I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't like reading it. It makes (laughs) (laughs) I feel really yucky inside. I just (sighs) I don't love it. Fitz has a well Molly has a little joke for him because his hair came out of his warrior's tail. And she says, you would have been a singularly homely girl. I snorted. I'm not so much better as a man either. She looked offended. Of course. Like, yeah, like um, person who loves you back isn't going to take that you're ugly. Like, <laughs> like uh, excuse me, you think I'm bad taste too? As well as I'm bad at candle making? What is this, Fitz? <laughs> says, you are not ill-favored. She traced a finger down the musculature of my chest speculatively. The other day in the washing courts, some were saying you were the best thing to come out of the stables since Burek. <laughs> I think it is your hair. It is not near as coarse as most buckmen. Birik, I said with a snort. You cannot tell me his favorite among the women. She quirked a brow at me. And why not? He's a very well-made man and clean and mannered besides. He has good teeth and such eyes. His dark humors are daunting, but not a few would like to try their hands at lightening those. The washing maids agreed that day that that were he to turn up in their sheets, they would not hurry to shake him him out. But that is not likely to happen, I pointed out. No, she agreed pensively. That was another thing they agreed on. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's so weird that Molly clearly has a little crush on Beric, which is fine. I don't think it's a crush. I just think think it's like... I think she acknowledges how... He's a a good-looking man. Yeah, but also... he has, you know, a future. I love that Beric comments on her nice coat, and she comments on his nice teeth. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that is such a weird like maybe they are meant for each other <laughs> it's like teeth is such a weird thing to, i mean well, i get it maybe like, not <laughs> I mean, then, maybe people have real bad teeth true but like i think health care that makes me think by. of like how you would praise a horse like <laughs> you know what i mean like people talk about like the pull up the lips check the check the teeth uh-huh. you know other animals too i suppose but just like teeth feels like such an animalistic compliment i don't know so it just made me laugh when i read that like okay that's how they got like <laughs> that's how they do so well together like <laughs> similar i don't know but it was funny to read this part of knowing what is to come where it's like he's not so bad <laughs> And Fitz is like, what? <laughs> he is shocked. He cannot believe people think Virick is number one, hot. Number two, interesting enough that they'd want to sleep with him. Like, <laughs> He's like, my dad? Ew. <laughs> I just find that very funny. We've all been there, though. <laughs> she goes on with a little salacious gossip here saying that uh one of the one of the other people she was talking with said that uh, he had used his time well amongst the stallions to learn their ways and that she had carried the mark of his teeth on on her shoulders for a week that cannot be i declared my ears burned for Birik's sake he would not mistreat a woman no matter how drunk she was he was silly boy no one said she was mistreated she glanced at me coyly or displeased (laughs) 
I still did not believe it. I declared, Burek? And the woman had liked it? (laughs) And then, since obviously he's still, like, incredulous and maybe not believing Molly, she's like, he has a really small scar here, shaped like a crescent moon. She put her hand on my hip and looked at me from under her lashes. (laughs) I opened my mouth and shut it again. I cannot believe that women chatter of such things. Which is such a... <laughs> okay, Fitz, sure. In the washing courts, they talk of little else, Molly divulged calmly. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fitz goes down the list of men in his life. They're like, okay, so... What about hands? <laughs> Which well, is they... interesting, he doesn't want to hear more about himself. He's like, no. I need to know what they think about hands. <laughs> He had pretty eyes and lashes, but all the rest of him need to be washed several times. <laughs> and I like this little this little part, because he asks about Regal. And Molly's like, Regal, mmm. She just smiled dreamily at me, and then laughed at the scowl at my face. <laughs> oh, we don't talk about the princes. Like, so we have a little bit of propriety. <laughs> but she really leans into that, ooh, Regal. Yeah. He's so cute. <laughs> it's very funny. But he gets, I mean, they they have these joking moments and are really relaxed. And while they're just kind of cuddling and hugging on this beach or on this cliffside, Fitz starts telling her what's been going on, finally. It seemed like the right time, he says. Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, because it says, it seemed like the right time to tell her of my problems with shrewd and celerity. Is he's right. still not including her in in this issue, which yeah. it it's a youth thing with Fitz mm-hmm. and a thing that like since his worlds are separated out, he did this to himself to yeah. compartmentalize these issues with this side of his life and everything else is, you know, Molly and him. Yes. Yeah. It's not them together against this issue. And Molly realizes this and, like, is immediately, you know, she's crying and he's like, what's wrong? He's like, what do you mean what's wrong? You just told me that... We can't be together because you're promised to somebody else. (laughs) And Fitz is like, no, I'll die before anything else. Like, no, you're a child. Like, you are an actual child. Like, you... Which, I wish he would have told her right away. I think if he had told her, hey, I talked to Verity... He said, when he's king, I can marry whoever I want. Then I talked to King Shrewd, and he said <laughs> that I am pledged to celerity. Shrewd doesn't seem to be doing too hot. <laughs> Let's just wait it he out. Would, he would never say that. <laughs> no. Oh, man. But it's, I don't, I just feel like if he would at least tell her the part about Verity, yeah. maybe she could be more on his side because from her perspective this is a royal person mm-hmm. with a lady a duchess is that duke and duchess she's a duchess yeah. well uh, not quite because she's still a child but is she, she the younger be, or the older she's the younger sibling she's the younger sibling so yeah so, so no, i was i was gonna say yeah. heir to the duchy but not yeah true. so she is pretty high in society and then there's molly who is currently a servant and at most in her life can become a shopkeep. So realistically, she doesn't fit in that equation as it stands from the information she has. And it's frustrating that Fitz won't tell her all of the information. Not that I think that it would perfectly fix everything, 
but maybe you'll give her more hope. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I just wish she wouldn't keep everything from her. Well, yeah, all of us wish that. Fitz would talk more, <laughs> I think. It would benefit a lot of things. Right. Because other people can make better decisions when they're fully informed, just like he can make better decisions when he's fully informed. But mm-hmm. heaven forbid anyone else have any autonomy. Just himself is deserving of that. <laughs> and so, understandably, Molly is pretty upset here and also saying, like, well, you're a child and... It's starting to rain. Well, we better get back. I've delayed too long. And we better not go back together. And Fitz takes this really weirdly personally. He doesn't think there's a worse thing she could have called him than a child, which I disagree. (laughs) And then he is mad at Shrewd for creating this mess. Or he doesn't know who he's more mad at. Shrewd for creating the mess. Or Molly for believing in it. And goes on to say that all of the joy from his afternoon has been ruined. As though Molly's not there experiencing extreme sadness and pain as well. It just is really sad and frustrating for me to read. I mean, from Fitz's perspective, like, since we've determined and we know that he is, like, you know, a basically helpless romantic. Right. With these things, the true love and everything like Mm -hmm. that. From his perspective, saying, like, you know, I'm I'm promised to you, though. Like, I promised myself to you, so I don't have to marry Celerity. And then <laughs> Molly's like, but what if the king tells you to marry her? And she's like, well, I'll stop bathing. And obviously she doesn't laugh because it's a serious topic. Yeah. <laughs> Although I thought that was kind of a funny joke. <laughs> it was a little funny. Um, <laughs> but then he says that they would have to kill me to keep me from you. Like, all of these things are like, I am going to marry you no matter what. Because I love you, and we're meant for each other. Right. Only death and, could keep me from you. Yeah, and, and Molly obviously is like, you're not gonna die for me. Yeah. Like, this, that's not how this works. She mm-hmm. is she's much more pragmatic because she's had to live on her own and be self-sufficient since she was, like, eight years old. Right. So this is, this is really... Fitz being the romantic and being mad at the pragmatist for being like, no, your dreams can't happen. Right. Because you have to be realistic about our class difference. Right. And I guess <laughs> looking at it that way, I can see how it would feel like it maybe Molly's. It, but... <laughs> right. No, maybe Molly's love isn't true because he's willing to die for her. Right. And she's being a realist. <laughs> Which. Again, like you said, does not excuse his behavior, but it does explain it a little bit, I guess. I feel less mad at him, but I do still feel really bad for Molly. Oh, yeah. Because he's, like, now pouting because she she ruined his time, and she has to go back knowing, like, this is probably the last time we're going to see each other, (laughs) like... um, Although I think in the future they do continue to see each other, but she keeps it more light. Yeah. And, like, doesn't talk about the future anymore and... Yeah. That sort of stuff. Which, oh, I feel so bad for Molly. So, Fitz gets back to his room, obviously, filled with anger at this point, and underlying that, just sadness at the whole world. And he prepares a poison for Wallace, (laughs) (laughs) and then contemplates taking it himself. And he also doesn't go down to dinner... He doesn't go to Molly that night. He just opens up the window in his room and lets the rain come in and stares out the window. 
He ignores the summons from Chade when the door opens. And eventually he's just sitting there and Chade comes down and he's like, what are you doing? The draft comes up to the room. Close this now. <laughs> yeah. And he smells the uh, the poison and he's like, come up, come up to the room, boy. Yeah. Have you done anything stupid? And Fitz is just in like a deliriously angry shock kind of state. He's just kind of like laughing and he's like, stupid me. And Shade knows there's something incredibly wrong with Fitz at this point. Like, there's just... Right. Emotionally, he's going through something that he needs to be worked through or helped with. And I, I find it very interesting that Shade never really admonishes him for having feelings. No, Does that make yeah. sense? Like, yeah, we've doesn't. never had an example, I don't think, of... Chade telling Fitz to some to some effect of man up like you can't have feelings stop reacting so strongly about things because Fitz is a little dramatic about his reactions sometimes I think the but, only time that he does do something like that is when the feelings are treasonous right and even then it's not you can't have those feelings you just it's, can't speak them yeah, out loud like you, you don't say stuff like that Fitz yeah I will not have treason in my room. <laughs> but I just think this scene in particular, he's a little wary of Fitz, but he's allowing Fitz time to speak and have his feelings. And I think that's really important to see a male role model do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a guy. I don't face a lot of people telling me to be less emotional. But I feel like this is really cool to see I don't think, I guess now that I'm trying to think, I don't think anybody really tells Fitz ever to stop having feelings. Jay, or Birik has like an unhealthy way of dealing with feelings. Yes. But he doesn't ever make it a big deal that Fitz has feelings. No, but I was just thinking about this while you were talking about Chade. He gives Fitz time to work through his issues Mm -hmm. on his own in the beginning, but if it's taking too long, he's just like, all right, now it's time. You're done. (laughs) Which, you know, sometimes when you're being too mopey, you do need somebody to come and say, it's fine to be upset, but it has been too long. (laughs) Sometimes you just need that little shake. And I don't know, I just like, I don't know, it just made me happy to see an example of especially male characters being allowed to feel their feelings and be overly dramatic about things mm-hmm. and get the feelings off their chest. And I don't know, I just really appreciate that. As it's just something that I don't think I I personally have seen a ton in media, books, movies, otherwise. Yeah. Robin Hobb does a really good job of exploring all of humanity's psyche and, and yeah. how we deal with issues and the traumas that come after traumatic things. Mm-hmm. So I think the different ways of dealing with feelings does crop up in her books. And Mm -hmm. this is one of the healthier portrayals, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, not that Fitz going through his feelings is healthy because he does not have a healthy way of dealing with it as learned from Birik and other people, but the response to those issues and and people having difficulties in their life is yeah. Nobody ever looks down on him for the problems he's going through because realistically, not getting to marry your high school sweetheart is not the end of the world. You're not going to die. And it would be really easy to have Chade's character say, like, buck up. It's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of all of the things happening during mm-hmm. this war. Right. But that doesn't happen. And I 
I just really appreciate that. Fitz sits down with Jade, takes a little time, and then asks, Does anything feel worse than being angry with people you love? After a bit, he spoke. Watching someone you love die, and being angry but not knowing where to direct it, I think that's worse. Which is just a continuation. He he really takes Fitz's issues seriously. Mm -hmm. He takes time to consider the question that Fitz prompts to him and and does answer it sincerely and truthfully, as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. And Fitz goes on a rant of, like, what's been going on in his life, which... Even he remarks, like, I'm sure Shade knew all of this going into this conversation. Right. But he's just saying everything that he's going through. And he also says, I love Molly. I have told Trude that I love another, and yet he insists that I will be paired with Celerity. He asks how I cannot understand he means the best for me. How cannot he understand that I wish to wed whom I love? And Shade, again, takes this seriously. He looks consideringly and then says, have you discussed this with Verity? What good would would that do? He could not even save himself from being wed off to a woman he did not desire. I felt disloyal to Ketrikan as I said this, but I knew it was true. Would you care for wine? Chade asked me mildly. It might calm you. No. He raised his eyebrows at me. No. Thank you. After watching Shrewd calm himself with wine this morning, I let my complaint trail away. Was that man never young? (laughs) And Jade goes into a little description of what we were kind of talking about, how, yes, Shrewd was one young at one point, and he was arranged a marriage with Constance. Who he did not like and mm-hmm. did not court her willingly. Nor wed her gladly. <laughs> it took her death to make him know how deeply he had come to love her. Desire, on the other hand, he chose for himself. In a passion that fevered him, he paused. I will not speak ill of the dead. (laughs) Which was one of the funniest lines in this whole chapter for me. The last couple chapters, honestly, because... It's been a a ride. (laughs) Yeah, and also, that line is hilarious. Just Chade being like, Yeah, he came to love Constance. And he married Desire out of his own love. I'm not going to speak ill of the dead anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, he has those... Those thoughts and feelings just yeah. <laughs> bottled up and ready to go. <laughs> I wonder if that means that near the end, he did hate her. He, like, grew to hate her instead of grew to love. Shrewd, you mean? Yeah. Probably came to resent her more for... Yeah. Not being the thing that he had imagined her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, I don't know. Because he let her get away with so much. Could have just ceded her power and, you know, gradually she got a following and was able to get away with things. Yeah, true. Fitz and Jade have this conversation. They continue on with this track and, and Jade's kind of like, how are, how are you different? How is the situation different from Shrewd's to yours? Like, what makes you different than this? And Fitz is trying to insist, like, I'm not the king. My decisions don't affect anybody. And this is exactly what you were saying, Emma. Mm-hmm is that Fitz doesn't realize that he is in the public sphere. He yep. he can affect other things that happen. And that's what literally everyone in his life has been telling him can happen. Yep. Eric's been telling him that. Like, the reason why you're here 
is because they want you here so you can't affect things for the kingdom in the future. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Jade and Shrewd are both like, you do things. The fool is like, you are my catalyst. Yeah. I am going to change the future with you. Fitz, the things you do affect the future. <laughs> Even if it's not on a grand scale, like yeah. the fool is saying, just in general, because of who he, the family he was born into, like... What you do affects others, for sure. You have royal blood. It's not like you're some peasant Mm -hmm. in a backwater country, (laughs) in the middle of, you know, Pharaoh, digging up a potato farm or something. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fit. That person even can affect the future. Yeah, everyone can. as, like, fast or as loudly as Fitz can shout into the void, you know? (laughs) I don't know. So, Chade is trying to explain this to him, like, you... You can affect the future, by the way. If you even if you just refuse this, you're refusing a bond to another duchy that we need yeah, in the middle of a war with, you know, hints of civil war on the horizon or trying to foment civil war from our own prince. Like Mm -hmm. we need we need all the unity we can get. Yeah. I don't know. And Fitz is like, I am convinced I can make her decide she does not want me. How? By being an oaf and shaming shrewd? I felt caged. I tried to think of solutions, but found only one answer in me. I will marry no one except Molly. I felt better simply by saying it aloud. I met Chade's eyes. He shook his head. Then you will marry no one, he pointed out. Perhaps not. Perhaps we never shall be married in name, but we shall have a life together. And little bastards of your own. I stood convulsively, my fists nodding of their own accord. Don't say that, I warned Chade. I turned away from him to glare into his fire. I wouldn't, but everyone else will, he sighed. Fits, fits, fits. He came up behind me and put his hands on my shoulders. Very, very gently, he said. It might be best to let her go. It's... It's something that Fitz needs to hear. Yeah. And Che does an extremely great job at disarming Fitz, talking him through the situations. Mm -hmm. Because he knows Fitz. Right. And he also knows that Fitz is being blind. Yeah. He's not thinking of the repercussions of his actions very clearly, but he's also not thinking of the reality of if he gets his way. Right. Okay, so you don't ever marry molly then what she has to be known as the bastards side piece that has his own bastards like come on think about that and then like so you could maybe survive that can she does she want that what about her which i think is super important too of like it's not only you that would have to live through this it's somebody else too and maybe they don't want that which this conversation really makes me angry because they've had this same conversation before and yep. Fitz has gone over this realization in his head before yeah. of like yeah it'll bring bad you know bad gossip and talk towards Molly if we're together and towards our kids if we have kids in the future i think patience has brought it up to him yes. like to his face it's just incredibly frustrating that it just has to be continually pounded into Fitz's head that right. he can't always have his way, his romantic way, even though like nothing goes his way. Right. It's just <laughs> like <laughs> things will continually not go in your way, Fitz, because of who you are and who yeah. you were born into and what your duties are. 
it's just it's a terrible reality but it's a reality he has to face right and like the fact that he refuses to think about the consequences of the actions he's had up to this point also shows how young and immature he is because he just thinks well if i don't think about it i don't have to worry about it the future doesn't matter because i'm living right now and it's such a young person way to think yeah (laughs) It is. I mean, and I can't really blame him. He's had an emotionally stunted upbringing in several right. different ways. He's had multiple, multiple, multiple traumatic events already in his young life. Like, I don't blame him the way uh, for the way he's thinking, but at the same time, he's trained to critically think about situations and he just refuses to do so. Yeah, when it comes to himself or when his it own comes life. to himself, yeah. Yeah. He's just too close to the situation. I don't know. Yeah. Can't take that and step back. And he's young. And mm-hmm. it doesn't feel real. Future doesn't ever feel real. But especially when you're young. <laughs> he could honestly take Ketrickin's advice and just try to meditate a little bit. <laughs> it would probably help him. Get some self-reflection. Be connected to the the world for a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. Don't reach out your wit too far, otherwise you'll go crazy, but still. Like... <laughs> and so... They continue on this situ- this conversation. Chade has disarmed Fitz's anger, but now Fitz is just in his sadness. He His armor is stripped away, and he's mm-hmm. just sad at the whole situation. And Chade tries to continue to walk him through the whole uh, situation here with Molly. If if he lets her go, like, what, what can you provide? What does she need? It's not just what you need. What does she need as well? And Fitz in his mind is like... You know, a Chandlerly, uh, children, legitimate husband, which also she doesn't need those things, Fitz. No. But just want to like those are things that she deserves. Yeah, and that she probably wants, but like right. she doesn't need a legitimate husband or a Chandlerly or children. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. But with that. You know, that that question that brings about that line of thinking in Fitz's head to, you know, it makes him feel guilty because Fitz is like, oh, I haven't been thinking about this. Oh, why? <laughs> why are you making me think about this? Why are you making me feel guilty about this? Yeah. His mind immediately jumps to and says out loud, you are doing this for shrewd to make me do as he wishes. I accused Jade. He lifted his hands from my shoulders. I listened to him walk away to wine being poured into a single cup. He brought his wine with him to his chair and sat down before his fire. I'm sorry. He looked at me. Someday, Fitzchivalry, he warned me, those words will not be enough. Sometimes it is easier to pull a knife out of the man than to ask him to forget words you have uttered, even words uttered in anger. I am sorry, I repeated. So am I, he said shortly. Very true. Mm-hmm. And he brings this up later, and I think they have an argument. I'm not sure if it's in this trilogy or if it's in the Tawny Man trilogy, but I remember this being brought up again. Like, mm-hmm. at, at some point, Jade warmed me, and I think I crossed that line. Or, yeah, you know, I something think that's like the that. fight with the fool. Could because be. truly, after his fight with the fool, the even though he apologizes, and fool understands that he is sorry, their relationship is forever ruined and it causes the distrust in the final series 
mm-hmm. because there's already that level there. And it it's true because once you say something, you can't unsay it. And even if you don't mean it, you're just saying it because you know it's going to hurt. You've still done the damage. And now that person thinks maybe on some level you do think that. And Fitz doesn't seem to ever learn this lesson. <laughs> he always kind of goes forward with anger. And it seems as though he does have a bad temper that causes him to mm-hmm. lash out. I mean, when I was young, I also had a problem when I would get mad, I would just say whatever I thought was the meanest thing to say. So I understand where he's coming from, but it's like hard to read. <laughs> Fitz also has a very stressful life. He does. <laughs> he does have a stressful life. <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, it doesn't excuse it. Like I've said before and like you're saying right now. Yeah. Those can't be taken back. No. And so they get around um, to apologizing to each other. And Fitz is humbly now asking, why did you summon me? And Shade, once uh, once they kind of calm down, says there's more forged ones that need to be taken care of. Fitz is, of course, upset because he thought he was done with that part of his life. He thought, you know... I wasn't going to be doing any of these assassinations or these killings of the forged ones anymore because I'm doing the warship stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and Chade's like, well, it's you or me, bud. Yeah. We're the only ones trained to do this. And Trude heard it like Verity, Verity did not order this. Verity promised you that he wouldn't do anything, but Trude ordered this. It needs to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is like, oh, I wouldn't expect you to do that anymore. Again, angering Chade really badly, implying that he can't do any physical activity anymore, even though he was gone for like a month and came back more spry than ever. Right. Fitz, this is your teacher. He could probably kill you 10 different ways without moving from his chair right now. Right. Also, (laughs) like, you rode with him on horseback overnight within the span of two days to see the first Forge ones. That was not that long ago. (laughs) You already think he's too old? No. No, 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 baby Fitz. Yeah. But Shade is legitimately angry here, and it's, and that's understandable. Like, he's, he says, who do you think kept them from Buckkeep all summer, Fitz, while you were out on the Rurisk? Did you think that because you wished to avoid a task, the need for the works, such work ceased? I was as shamed then as I have ever been. I looked aside from his anger. Oh, Shade, I am sorry. Sorry that you avoided it? Or sorry that you thought me incapable of doing it anymore? Both. Everything. I conceded it all suddenly. Please, Chaired, if one more person I care about becomes angry with me, I don't think I shall ever be able to bear it. I lifted my head and looked at him steadily until he was forced to meet my eyes. It has been a long summer for both of us. Pray El for storms to drive the red ships away forever. We sat a time in silence. Sometimes, Chaired observed, it would be much easier to die for one's king than to give one's life to him. I bowed my head in assent. I think Chade is still in his head angry, but for Fitz's sake, gives up on that anger and, and recognizes that Fitz is actually going through something. Right. And I, I don't know if he would be able to easily give up on that anger or just recognizes it has enough self-reflection and self-awareness to be like, this isn't the thing to be angry about right now. Right. Well, I think... Chade is an adult, so there's a little, a couple more years at least right, right. of practice in recognizing when your anger is getting the better of you. Mm-hmm. 
and recognizing when your insecurities are taking control of your anger because clearly Fitz didn't mean anything by like he I don't think Fitz meant like oh you're so old and decrepit there's no way you could possibly physically do this but that's kind of what he said it's the arrogance of youth and not thinking about where you're speaking exactly and I think that probably just happened to hit a nerve because Shade is older and especially after like a couple decades at least of being stuck in a dirty attic in little hallways being hunched over Mm -hmm. and not really getting exercise or fresh air for the most part at least not very often or reliably he probably isn't able to do as much as he once did before but also after being you know riding around the countryside probably at night because he can't sneak away during the day Mm -hmm. hunting forged ones at night for four months during summer yeah like you would be upset if you were like saying like i've i've done all the work fits (laughs) what have you been doing yeah no he is definitely really cool and that he has the ability to do that but i'm sure it was probably hard i mean it would be hard for fits but it'd be hard anyway and he probably knows that and i think that plays into the feeling of inadequacy yeah definitely but we do hear the rare wording from shrew or from jade of i don't like being an assassin (laughs) yeah like this not straight out but it's close as jade gets yes the the little edge of treason that he likes to walk sometimes it would be much easier to die for one's king than to give one's life to him and that's something that both of them carry yeah that that's something that Fitz has remarked on after this and before this mm-hmm. that if he could do one task and have it end there then his life would be fulfilled like his task would be done and he wouldn't have to worry about sacrificing everything else while living right it's a fatalistic response but i guess they are assassins yeah deal with death all the time that's probably what you think about most Mm -hmm. but i think also though just to back up briefly it is important that chade pointed out just because Fitz doesn't want to do something and pushes it aside doesn't mean that it doesn't get done. Right. Yeah. Just means somebody else has to pick it up. And I think that's something Fitz doesn't really grow out of. No. I mean, because he should have known that before because right. he didn't tell Verity about the Queen's Guard and Verity finds out and yep. Fitz is like, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> Whoops. There's just yeah. a couple examples throughout yeah. leading up to this. Literally every then... part of his life where he decides, I don't need to tell this person right away because it's going to be hard. It's like, okay, Fitz, well, it's going to happen anyway, so (laughs) it's just going to make you look worse, but sure. Yeah. I don't know. Reading this chapter was really interesting because I read a Reddit comment on the uh, Robin Hobb thread, or page, (laughs) and it was talking about how Chade is a flawed person, too, and that that's more visible throughout the second two trilogies but this one we're seeing Chade as a child sees him Mm -hmm. and so he seems more put together and like he has all the answers and so it was really interesting because I'd never thought about it that way to then read this chapter and think 
wow, I really do feel like he knows everything and like he's making the best possible decisions. But based off what I know from other books, he there's the potential that he's making all the wrong decisions. He doesn't have any idea either. He's just better at sounding confident. He has blind sides to him too. Like yeah. insecurity about being a bastard, insecurity about, you know, not being able to do the work, mm-hmm. insecurity about the skill, a lot of, a lot yeah. of different things. Insecurity that, about aging. Yeah. And it's... <laughs> I, I think I read the same thread as well. That's the one where they kind of like equated it to seeing growing up and relearning who your parents are and not yes. seeing them as fallible rather than, you mm-hmm. know, the perfect people that you always think they are. Yes. To, for full disclosure, this was not a positive thread about Jade, <laughs> but I still think positively of him. I think it's, well, yeah, I guess it's not positive to the character in the book, but no. as a character in a book or like a character right. you know study i think it's a, a very interesting look into to who he is yeah well thank you so much for tuning in for this week if you have anything to say about Chade or the conversations about fits or how fits is deficient in all sort of common sense and <laughs> critical thinking skills and self-reflection please let us know is fits happy at gmail.com or talk to us at is fits happy on twitter instagram or facebook and then also our episodes are posted over at the robin hobbs subreddit like emma was just stating so you can have a conversation over there and we'll we'll check all of those places and try to respond Now's the time of the podcast where we talk about what you guys talk to us about. This week, we got a really lovely email from Melissa from Manitoba, Canada. Woo! <laughs> Why are you cheering for Canada? Canada's cool. Yeah, they it have is. Good maple syrup. Sure. Hockey. Some people speak French fluently there. <laughs> you don't even like hockey. <laughs> I don't dislike hockey. <laughs> You don't know my life. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Shout outs to Canada. Hey, Canada. They're our neighbor. Emma's your number one fan. (laughs) I, you know, they have some good actors and singers that come out of there and come to us. So. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Anyway. I don't have anything against Canada either. It kind of sounds like you do. (laughs) I don't know. I just was curious why you love them so much <laughs> I, I just it's cool that somebody from canada listens to our podcast eh it's true <laughs> no you have to cut that out <laughs> i'm leaving both of those lines in no <laughs> just honestly already an aside to an aside but <laughs> i am not originally from the state of wisconsin and when i moved up here for college everybody made fun of me i was from missouri at which is midwest southern southern yeah um not quite south everybody up here thinks it's south but another digression um (laughs) but everybody always said i'd have to get used to everybody in wisconsin saying a and how oh yeah you're going to wisconsin a is what everybody said we like we'd all joke make jokes and then as soon as i come up here and told somebody that that's what people in missouri thought of wisconsinites 
they got so offended and they're like, we don't say a, that's for the UPers. And I'm like, you, okay. Oh, sorry. The UPers. UPers. Or Northern Minnesota. <laughs> and then anybody up North says that's just Canadian. Up North. Up North. <laughs> so it's just a really funny aside that probably won't make it in. <laughs> I was just going to say that like. We're closer to Canada than we are to Missouri right now. That so. is true. I don't want to make anybody from Canada mad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thanks, Melissa, for this tangent. Um, and also, bringing to our attention the song Brother by the Rural Alberta Advantage. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool song. They let us know that they were reminded of it because of our de- depiction of how Night Eyes talks. <laughs> Um, which I just want everyone to know that I still internalize his voice that way, but it's Hulk Hogan. Yes, it is Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's a really cool song. We listened to it. We loved it. Um, we'll try to share it on our story or something, Yeah. but if you're listening to this super far in the future, you can find it on Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I think you sent that to us a little bit ago, so apologize for the late response, but I did listen to it when you sent the message. I just lost track of time and didn't respond, so I apologize, Melissa. <laughs> um, we also got an interesting comment from a Redditor named... Uh, Chemfem. Chem- so they were talking to us about, from uh, last episode... About how we were talking about Korikska and the Koriks and mm-hmm. what the relation between those two were and what those words possibly meant. And this person said that the SKA ending is female in the Polish language. So they were kind of thinking or asking if uh, the pale woman had brought any whites along with her to the out islands because then the corks could be the whites and corkska could be you know pale woman or white woman or something like that i didn't believe that there was anything that any whites had gone along i'm pretty sure it's just out islander guards that she partially forged eventually and helpers out there so it kind of breaks down that but also the person came back and commented i'm just trying to make my theory fit but Corks could be the name that she calls mm-hmm. all of her followers, which I kind right. of liked. And yeah. then Korikska would still be, you know, the le- the female leader of her group that she names. Right. So I thought that was a pretty cool theory and language connection. Yeah. It also fits with Narcheska. Yeah. Because that is what they call the female head. So the SKA so. could be just, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's like a fun little a feminine. Fun. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you wouldn't call it a tense, but. Um. Suffix. Feminine suffix. Yeah. yeah. Prefix to... is before suffix is at the end of a word. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember my uh, my Spanish like <laughs> grammar names for things. It wouldn't be an article, would it? I don't know. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> so far, <laughs> it is a made up from, word. <laughs> so far removed from school that it doesn't matter to me at this point. Yeah. No. But yeah, I thought that was a really cool uh, little language connection there. So thank you for asking about that and commenting about that and bringing it to our attention. And it is now part of our own headcanon. So yeah, yeah, I like it. Robin Hobb needs to write more dictionaries, more language guides, more magic guides. Just do a bunch of no. technical writing. I don't want any more novels. Actually, don't don't. I do want more novels, but. <laughs> 
I want the technical writing as well. That's fair. <laughs> I I do appreciate on some level that Robin Hobb has kind of decided that this is over um, and isn't deciding to, like, add on more woke things now, well, <laughs> now yeah. that it's been years oh, past. Like one author in particular? Yes. Yes. I'm, I, I kind of prefer wishing I knew more rather than getting, oh, yeah, they just poop in the corridors. And <laughs> like, then magic it away. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, please look up the Pottermore article, official article about how wizards in Harry Potter Before plumbing. Yeah. Use the bathroom. Yeah. Um, Because obviously they hadn't heard of chamber pots or anything. Anyways, not the right conversation to be having. Wrong podcast. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think she has toyed with the idea of adding more on. And she's had, you know, a couple interviews and an Ask Me Anything thread on Reddit asking about different stories and novels that she might be in the works for. And I know she's been writing a lot as Megan Lindholm recently, Mm -hmm. she said, which are shorter stories and usually urban fantasy or urban fiction or some sort of thing like that. And Robin Hobb is reserved for her more detailed work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how many of you read off all of this stuff, but I thought one interesting thing was... She stated early in 2020, she had been working on an idea and writing some drafts up for things for a new, uh, I think, a new book in the realm of the Utterlings. But it focused around an infectious disease that had transferred from, I think, from like eating dragon parts and something or from like from animals Ooh, through magic so she kind of scrapped it when the coronavirus <laughs> that is became like a thing. such unfortunate so, timing yeah. <laughs> that like imagine you're like oh this is so good no one's writing about this and then it literally happens <laughs> <laughs> so anyways uh we almost had something but she's still um i think she still has ideas and stuff it just depends on what she feels like right. writing and you know I, I feel like the 16-book series is left off at a great place, but we always want more. So right. That's just kind of where Emma and I are at. Like, just any little tidbit is great. Mm-hmm. I would love to know more, but I'm also okay leaving it. I don't... I'm scared adding too much will ruin it in a way. Right, yeah. I don't know. It won't. It, it truly won't. I'll still read it all. I'll still have comments, but... <laughs> That's always that fear for, like, authors of, like, a a series that you love and you hear Mm -hmm. a sequel is coming out 20 years later. You're like, is this, (laughs) is this going to be good? (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, if Robin Hobb, if you're listening, don't let this deter you. We will buy it first chance we get if you release another. Oh, 100%. Also, we will buy all the illustrated all the way up through that new one that you released. So please tell the publisher that you want the illustrated versions. But no, it's, I don't know. It's such a good book, and the yeah. series is so fun. It's really weird. <laughs> so fun. That's a weird descriptor, but... <laughs> it's not how I would describe it to somebody who I wanted to read the book. Maybe I would. To get, <laughs> get them to them read. In. Yeah. This is the, the most fun I've ever had reading a book. Hands them. <laughs> Assassin's Apprentice. Have your therapist on speed dial. <laughs> yeah, we want more. I'm sure you guys want more, too. So thank you so much for reaching out and commenting about... Uh, more theories and things like that we always like living more in this world yeah makes the regular days less mundane <laughs>